coming for the baby dedication, y'all go ahead and come forward. And, I, and kids that would normally go to class right now, you stay put because I want you guys to be a witness to this as well. So we will dismiss our kids' classes after we have the uh, baby and child dedication. We've got three families coming forward, so y'all go ahead and come on up. Come on. Yeah, y'all two over here. Millers, come over here. We've got three families uh, this morning, and... um, We'll just, uh, we'll, we'll start over here on my right with the Miller family, um, who will be recognizable to many of you. We have uh, Zach and Brittany Miller, along with big sisters Addison and Emma, here to dedicate Miles Michael Thatcher Miller. And uh, um, with them today, Miles is checking out our fans. They're, they're going. So uh, with them today, I want to acknowledge we've got some extended family here for each of these families. So as I read out extended family, if you're extended family here, you're welcome to stand. Uh, we have uh, grandparents Michael Gladden and Sharon and Wayne Williams are here this morning, as well as great-grandparents Walt and Jeannie Carter, Ruby Couch, uh, great-aunt Alicia Carter, and uh, great-grandmother Faye Dunn. And Zach and Brittany have chosen two scriptures to be read. And what we'll do is we can, um, we're going to read the scriptures and then we're going to do the dedication at the end. So extended family, if y'all would, y'all can, y'all can sit down for now. And, um, but thank you for being here to participate with us in this important dedication. The scriptures that Zach and Brittany chose are 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each, of one, let each one of you look not on your own interests, but to the interests of others. And then over here we have uh, Derek Owens along with his parents, Josh and Rachel, uh, this is Derek Joshua Owens, and he's got some family here too. Rachel's family, um, parents, two sisters, brother and brother-in-law are here somewhere back there. Y'all stand up just for a second so we know you're here. Thank you guys for joining us. And then we've got some of Josh's family watching online as well. And uh, their scriptures for little Derek, Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Luke 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. 
and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. It's a little Derek. And now, um, Annie Griffin over here with his parents, Ryan and Lindsay, and big brother Alexander. Her parents, Ryan and Lindsay, and big brother Alexander. Sorry, it was boy, boy, girl. Hey. Uh, hey, Annie, how are you? How's that necklace? Good. This is... Um, They're laughing at me, not you. That happens all the time. Um, Annie Laurel Griffith. Annie Griffin. Annie meaning favored one. Y'all, I just am like, I got two down and the third one. It's because you outdressed me this morning. Um, Annie Laurel Griffin. Annie meaning favored one and Laurel meaning honor and victory. James 4, 5 through 7. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And Joel 2, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and her bride and the bride her chamber. Then Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. And finally, Psalm 116.5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Um, uh, here with Annie and Ryan and Lindsay this morning are uh, grandparents, Raymond and Janice Hobby and uh, Mise- Michelle Sheffer. Sheffer or Schaefer? Sheffer. Okay, I got that one right. Sheffer and um, then also some uh, additional family watching virtually online, Matt Sheffer, Terry and Leanne Griffin and family in South Georgia. Ryan writes here, Annie means favored one. They've lost other children before meeting Annie, and God is gracious to us by blessing us with Annie. With this baby dedication, we are committing to God not that Annie will choose Christ, but that we will raise Annie in the knowledge of Christ, as is our duty as Christians. We not only have to repent and turn to Christ, and God promises us his will, that he will be gracious and compassionate to us. And that same promise is available to Annie. And so with the kids up here with their parents and some older siblings, I want to just remind you uh, why we do this. Uh, the, the process of baby dedication is never perfectly described or commanded in Scripture. There are examples of things like this in Scripture. But ultimately what we see a child dedication or baby dedication accomplishing is threefold. Number one, this is a commitment from parents to point their children towards salvation in Jesus. That's the number one commitment they will, these six parents will make this morning. Uh, number two, it's a commitment from Christian parents to point their kids towards Jesus within the context of this local church, within the context of the Christian community. And that's an important aspect of that because point number three is I'm going to ask each of you to make a commitment as well. 
that this is also a commitment from the local church to pray for, support, and partner with these parents in the task ahead. Because the task of child rearing is difficult, it brings all sorts of challenges along with it. And each one of these children, Miles and Derek and Annie, will face numerous challenges throughout their lives. And each set of parents here will face their own challenges in parenting. And what I'm going to ask you to do in a minute is commit to them also. Your prayers, your support, both for for baby and for mom and dad, and for older siblings as well in this task ahead. So we we have some commitments to make. And so first, parents, I'm going to ask you guys a question all together, and the ant- the, your response is simple. All you say is, I will, and you're going to say that all six of you together, okay? We're going to try to coordinate this. All right. Parents, will you commit to raise your children in a way that encourages them to know God and love him with all their heart, soul, and might? Parents, Will you commit to partner with this body of believers by encouraging your children to engagement with other believers for teaching, encouragement, and service? Okay, they're done. Your turn. Now, church, I'm going to ask you two questions and in response to both, you say, I will or we will. Church, will you commit to these parents to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them as they seek to fulfill their commitments to their children? Church, will you commit to these children to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them to know God, love him, and follow him? Amen. Pray with me. Father, I praise you for uh, Miles Miller and for his parents, Zach and Brittany, and for the opportunity to stand with them this morning in celebration of this little life. I thank you for the scriptures that they have chosen, reflective of his youth, that, Father, their prayer for him is that he would be an early example for believers, for his brothers and sisters, an example of speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, and an example of humility. And so, Father, I pray that for little Miles. May he know you, may he rejoice in you, and may he lead others towards that knowledge with his humility, and with his conduct and grace that is so evident in his life. Bless Zach and Brittany in this parenting journey. Bless Addison as she uh, sets an example as big sister. Bless Emma as she sets an example as big sister. May this family be blessed by you, and may may their home be filled with your presence. And Father, for Derek, we praise you and we thank you for the scriptures that his parents have chosen for him. Derek Joshua, that he would be strong and courageous just as you commanded Joshua, but that he would also, in his strength and courage, love his enemies, serve those who may even persecute him. Father, may he be merciful even as you are merciful. God, uplift Josh and Rachel as they pursue this journey of parenting together. Make their marriage strong. Make their home warm. May you be present with them as as you support little Derek to be an example of strength and love and service within the Christian community. And Father, too, for Annie, 
We praise you for this favored one full of honor representing your victory. God be with her. Bless her as she goes. May she receive your grace in her humility. May she declare the righteousness of you and may she be a demonstration of your grace to all that know her. Strengthen Ryan and Lindsay. Strengthen Alexander as a wonderful example of a big brother. Give him the wisdom to know how to encourage her and strengthen her. Give Ryan and Lindsay wisdom in this parenting journey ahead. And Father, for each of us, as their brothers and sisters, as encouragements both to mom, dad, and to the children, Father, be with us and give us wisdom to know how to support these beautiful young families well. And Father, may you bless, may you bless the commitments made this morning. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As a reminder of our commitment to you, this is a a gift for, not for you, Zach, for Miles. I bored Miles. He fell asleep on me over here. Um, But this is our gift from you and and a demonstration of our desire, all of our desire, to partner with you all. Thank you for allowing us that blessing of partnering with you um, in pointing your children towards Christ. So thank you. You guys can be seated. And any of you going to kids' classes, you guys can go ahead and make your way upstairs to your time of worship up there. It's beautiful to have the opportunity to celebrate three kids this morning. On Mother's Day, we'll have more. Um, We had just trouble in scheduling all of the baby dedications that we've wanted to do um, this spring. And so join us again on Mother's Day and we'll have more children brought before you for dedication to the Lord. And what an opportunity we had this morning. Thank you to Emily, one of our seniors, who um, was given the task of choreographing her own solo piece as a senior within her dance company and wanted to use the opportunity that she had to proclaim what is most important through the dance she was assigned to do. And so thank you, Emily, for sharing that with us this morning. She already went to teach kids, so I'll thank her later. Oh, no, you're down here. You were right there a second ago. All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 7. Uh, And we are going to talk about forgiveness this morning. But before we do, I'll remind you, this is Palm Sunday. And as Palm Sunday, this is the entrance into what's called Holy Week. Palm Sunday today, and then on Friday of this week is what we call Good Friday. And then Sunday, next Sunday, a week from today, is Easter Sunday. So, Uh, Because of that, we have some extra opportunity for worship this week. And I'd invite all of you to join us at 6 o'clock this Friday for our Good Friday service. It will be a a relatively short service. It will be under an hour. So join us in here from uh, 6 to 7 on Friday evening, and that will be uh, available through live stream as well. But we hope you'll do that and participate in the Lord's Supper with us as we celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus together on the the day that commemorates Jesus' death, Good Friday. Um, Then Easter Sunday, our plan and our hope on Easter Sunday is to have an outside service at 9.15. That was the plan and hope this morning, and there was lots of storms this morning. So we did not go outside. We went to the youth room, which has been our, our norm for the early service this spring. But next Sunday, if the weather is clear, we'd love for you to join us outside at 9.15 
or inside at 1030. And uh, we recognize that um, this last year has been full of challenges and trials. And, and our, our gathering together has been limited at times and we've had people come back at different times. And I just want to tell you, if you haven't joined us for in-person worship over the last year, now's the time to come back. There, there's no time like Easter Sunday to come back. And so I really hope that all of you that are here today and also those of you that are watching online will join us for either 9.15 and 10.30 or 10.30. And here's the deal. We want some of you to join at 9.15 because we want to have uh, evenly spaced services as much as we can. So join us at 9.15 outside and we're going to pray for a beautiful day or join us at 10.30 right here in this room. Um, now, we're going to open the scriptures to Luke chapter 7 and we'll talk about the beauty of forgiveness. Uh, being Palm Sunday, it's a good reminder for us that there was so much uh, duplicity within the events of, of Holy Week for the people of Jerusalem. Because there was this sense of Palm Sunday, you have people gathering around the streets of town, celebrating. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You have a king riding in that is in one sense a royal entrance into the city. And yet at the same time, there's also this, this strange irony of this that the king is humbly riding in on a donkey, not accompanied by a great army and military arms, but actually a king riding humbly on a donkey entering into the city. But, but the crowd, just the same, is, is celebratory. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and yet, by Thursday, the crowds in Jerusalem are against this king, the one who was clearly receiving a royal interest, in entrance in the name of Yahweh on Sunday. On Thursday, heard the crowd shout out, crucify him. And as we turn to this passage in Luke 7, we're not, we're not discussing the passage of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday today. Uh, but I see such great significance in the passage that we are looking at for Palm Sunday because in it you see the unexpected receive Jesus with such grace, humility, and love. And you see kind of the expected one just reject Jesus and reject him in more ways than we might recognize from our first reading. And so as we look into Luke seven thirty six and following, I want you to see that what we're actually aiming towards today is forgiveness. But as we talk about forgiveness, we're going to recognize that sometimes the people that need forgiveness most aren't the people that we might assume need forgiveness most. That Jesus actually turns this whole story on its head at the end. So Luke 7, 36 and following, we're going to go about this in two parts. First, we're going to unpack the story and what's going on in the story. And then we're going to circle around what I think is the central point for us today. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears 
and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. But when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So first, let's look at the setting here before we go any farther. Uh, We don't know what town this was. We assume it's probably one of the towns in Galilee, and I'm going to assume that this is probably on the Sabbath day. I think the, the most likely setting for this is Jesus had come into one of these towns, and he had read and spoken at the synagogue like he did in Capernaum and Nazareth that we we see as was his norm, that on the Sabbath he would join in the synagogue and he would be seen as a traveling rabbi who had lots of people following him around. So they would give him the courtesy of giving him the scroll and letting him read from it and then share a reflection or expound on the meaning of what those verses said. And so I assume that this is what happened and then this Pharisee named Simon was one of the officials within the synagogue, and he then invited Jesus over for Sabbath lunch at his house. And it's important that we kind of see this with our eyes, this setting, because first century homes aren't like 21st century homes. And so the setting is uh, an outdoor context, most likely. This is most likely a meal in a courtyard, And so coming into this wealthy Pharisee's home, Jesus was likely set at a table with this Pharisee and probably some other Pharisees, and maybe a few of Jesus's followers made the invitation list too. But what was actually normal, and it's fascinating to me, but in these outside courtyard lunches, whenever you had somebody from out of town coming in as a, as a guest, there would often be people, because it was out in the open in a courtyard, there would often be people that would just kind of sit out in the grass and be spectators. It wasn't probably grass, it was ancient Israel, but sit out in just watch the lunch. So this is probably what's happening here. You have 10, 12, 15 people, who knows, at this table of honor having this discussion that likely was intended to be a a theological discussion over the Mosaic law. And then you have these spectators, this crowd that just gathers that's watching this whole thing. This helps us understand how this woman got into the picture. It's not that she just walked uninvited into his house It's that there was this courtyard meal going on, and she, and likely a group of others, were observing what was happening. And as she was observing what was happening, she could not help herself but to intervene, because a great offense had been shown, and you probably didn't see it from those first verses, but a great offense had been shown, and somebody had to do something about it, so she took it upon herself. Another note on context, uh, there's a similar story that happens three times in the Gospels, and three different Gospels tell the same story. Uh, Mark 14, Matthew 26, and John 12 all tell the story of Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, in the city of Bethany, doing a very similar thing. But I I do not believe that this is Mary in Bethany in this story. I, I believe that this is another event that was very, very similar. Uh, the event with Mary happens actually during Holy Week. We just talked about Holy Week. The event with Mary and Bethany was Wednesday of Holy Week, two days before the crucifixion. But this is earlier on in the ministry, and this is in the home of a Pharisee, whereas the other was in the home of a leper. And so now, 
we, we kind of understand the context as to how this woman was actually in the picture at all. She was likely not an invited guest. She was likely just a spectator, but she intervenes. Why? She intervenes into this setting because she had seen Simon, the host, commit a, a great offense against Jesus. But, but this woman, she was a sinner. Perhaps she was a prostitute. We don't know. That's sort of the most common assumption is that when somebody is defined as a woman of the city who is a sinner, that's sort of the assumption that lots of commentators and and historians will make that that's probably what Luke was meaning by this, but we don't know what her specific sins were. What we know is they were outward. What we know is that Simon clearly clearly knew she's a sinner and, and she's bad news. And most likely, Simon wasn't the only person that knew that. Most likely, others had the same idea. And Simon actually criticizes Jesus in his head. You notice that, right? Simon didn't say anything. He said to himself, well, if Jesus really was a prophet, surely he would know what this woman's all about. Notice, I... It's, it's so gross the way he says this, y'all. He doesn't just say, well, surely the prophet would know what she's done. No, it's worse. It's who she is, what sort of woman she is. The judgment coming through Simon's heart and mind, but actually not getting to his mouth because he knows better than to say it. But the judgment is, is there. It, 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 she has a label in his brain. It's what sort of woman she is. And Jesus answers his brain, not his mouth. It's one of my favorite things that Jesus does. Somebody's thinking something, doesn't have the guts to say it, and Jesus answers what that person is saying. Jesus in verse 40 is effectively saying, Simon, you are saying something in your head that you don't want to say out loud, but I'm going to say something out loud to you in response. And then Simon's like, okay, say it, teacher. And Jesus goes on to say, or he goes on to tell the story. But, but first, I've told you there's an offense. Let's talk about the offense here. What the woman does is she comes in and she's observing. And she sees that Jesus was brought into this meal and his feet were not washed. That's offense number one. Uh, number two she, he was not greeted with a holy kiss, which would have been the standard greeting, one rabbi to another, one Jewish leader to another. He didn't receive the warm familial Jewish greeting. And number three, the third offense is he was not anointed with oil as an honored guest. So the first two were just normal common courtesy things. The third one is how you treat an honored guest. And Jesus did not receive any of those three honors. So think about it this way. Uh, let's say we had a guest speaker in our church. And let's say we had a lunch for this speaker afterwards. And in that lunch, I invited him to my home. But when he came into my home, I didn't sit up from where I was standing. I didn't shake his hand. I, I, I didn't greet him warmly. He's wearing a coat that nobody offers to take. No, nobody offers to get him a, a drink or anything like that right away. We just barely acknowledge his presence and sit down. Well, well, that's not a warm welcome. 
and there's something off. If you were all observing this, well, the guest speaker came in and Tim barely acknowledged him coming in. Tim wouldn't look him in the eye. Tim didn't shake his hand. No, nobody offered to hang his coat up. You would probably assume I've got something against that guy, right? And, and that's the sign, that's the signal that Simon has clearly sent to the audience. Because here's what you need to know to understand this passage. Simon is not there to learn. And the offenses that he has shown towards his guests make it clear. Simon's there to debate, correct, prove that Jesus is not the prophet he says he is. And you have to understand that context to understand what comes next. Verse 41, Jesus' story. A certain moneylender, this is what Jesus says to Simon to answer the unspoken thought. A moneylender had two debts. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? So Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So I want to talk about the difference of the debts before we go any farther. Uh, a denarii was one day's of wages, was a, a common payment for one day's of physical manual labor. And so then um, 500 denarii or 50 denarii, let's say 50 denarii was two months of wages. And let's say 500 denarii was 20 months of wages. Now, if you are a, a physical laborer that makes uh, very little, you just make what you make that day, how long does it take to pay back two months of, of, of salary if you're living paycheck to paycheck already? That, that's not actually a little debt. Two months salary is a big debt. 20 months salary is a nearly insurmountable debt if you are living a paycheck to paycheck, day to day. You need that denarii for the day. It's hard to save up and repay the debt. I, I need you to see that this parable is not about somebody that owes a large debt and somebody that owes a small debt. It's somebody that owes us a large debt and somebody that owes an extreme debt. And, and that context is important for what Jesus is about to say to Simon because we could easily misread it if we're not uh, careful here. Verse 44, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so we see that Jesus makes it clear here. He noticed. He noticed the three offenses. And he noticed her in her love, in her admiration, in her emotion, correcting those three wrongs done to Jesus. And, and I think it's important to say, I do not believe that the woman ever came in intending to cry over Jesus' feet. Because most people don't 
plan their tears quite like that, right? The, the woman comes in, she's prepared with a flask of ointment. She's prepared to anoint Jesus with oil. So it's possible that her expectation was only to honor him with the anointing of oil. It, I don't think she fully would have expected the offense of his feet not being washed. Because that was not expected. She didn't come, most likely, prepared to wash his feet. But then, in recognizing how great the offense from Simon to Jesus, she took matters into her own hand. And she did not just anoint with oil, but she wept and she wept openly. How many of you have ever planned to weep openly in front of a large group of people? That's just the kind of thing that happens. And then think of, think of the moment. Think of what she must be, have been thinking. Uh, we don't know how she knew about Jesus. We don't know exactly what she knew about Jesus. She's not named here. We just know that she's overcome by emotion in this setting. And so did she just see Jesus work a miracle and she was just awestruck? I don't know. Did, did she hear Jesus teach and say, he has the words of life, I need to follow him? Did she fully realize that he was the Messiah, the King of Israel? Did she fully realize that he was the Son of God? She probably didn't realize all of that. We don't know how many pieces of the puzzle she had put together in her mind, but we know she was desperate and she was adoring that she humbled herself in a dramatic fashion in front of a crowd, in front of a huge crowd, and most of the crowd most likely knew how bad of a sinner she was. Most of the crowd would have been just like Simon, sitting there like, this is a really messed up kind of woman. This is a really sinful woman. But she humbled herself. She got down on her hands and knees in front of a large group of people, and she wept openly over this man's feet. Not the kind of thing you do over just any man's feet. This is a woman who saw her desperation for forgiveness because Jesus acknowledges her sins were many. But I want to caution you on something here. I do not believe Simon's sins were little. And so Jesus is telling this story of the, the debtor with the 50 denarii and the 500 denarii. And he says, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. I don't think the application to Simon was, well, Simon, you're only forgiven a little bit of your sins. You've only sinned a little. Because here's, here's the problem with that application. If the application is, the way to love Jesus more is to be forgiven by more, then the way to love Jesus more is to sin more, Right? That's the, the logical implication. If, if I want to love Jesus a lot, then I need to be forgiven a lot, which means I might as well go out and do crazy stuff. That's not the application. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And Paul addresses that. Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Paul says, no, may it never be. The goal is not to sin as much as you can so you can be forgiven as much as you can. I do not think Simon sinned little. I think the point of the parable was Simon thinks he sinned little. I think it was all about Simon's expectation. He thought he was righteous. He thought he only had a few sins to be forgiven of, and he was wrong. 
Walking into that lunch today, you have one person who was far off and one person who was nearby. One person that wasn't invited to the table because she was a sinner out there in the community. And another person who was righteous in the eyes of the religious leaders of the day, who was righteous in the eyes of the whole religious community. Simon was a leader within the synagogue. Simon was, a, was respected in the community. He was close to Jesus. He was probably sitting right next to him. And where are they at the end of the story? Who's close and who's far off? By the end of the story, the woman who was far off because of her sins, which were many, is brought near at the feet of Jesus. And Simon, who was near because it was his house, he was hosting, he was sitting probably right next to Jesus. He was the one that was far off. The the point of this The message isn't that Simon had sinned little. The point of this message is that Simon in his blindness had only seen a little bit of his sin. In his own mind, he believes he's forgiven little. In reality, his his pride in this whole interaction shows that there's a disease decaying within him of which he needs to be forgiven of, but he hasn't recognized it yet. And God's grace to this woman is to welcome her in in her desperation. And God's grace to Simon is to shake him with a story and say, you're not forgiven yet because you don't think you need to be forgiven. You think you're righteous. So the answer is not that we sin more so that we're forgiven more so that we love more. The answer is that we are awakened and aware of the sin that's already there that we are awakened to the depths of our own sin, including those comfortable ones, including those that may not seem like a big deal outwardly. We need to be awakened to the tragedy of each and every category of sin, whether it's public or private. And we need to be aware of the depths from which each and every one of us is forgiven. Because that's the point, ultimately. And that's what I want to circle around here. The point of this passage is forgiveness. And so I have five questions for us to answer. What is forgiveness? We might translate it as, as pardon or, or to let go. The Greek word actually means to let go of something. And so the, the illustration of the debt is fitting. The debt is forgiven. The debt is let go. The debt is canceled. That's a monetary debt. And so, with our sins, what God is offering to you is to cancel, to let go the debt of sin that you owe. It's an offer to you, and it's an offer today. And the debts were let go and canceled. The woman's offenses were let go. And now, the question for you is, what is in you that needs to be let go? What are those things that you need forgiveness for? What are those places where you have violated the law of God? And not just, not just the law as it is expound in, in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, but the law as it is expounded in the Sermon on the Mount as well. Where it's not just about murder, it's about anger. It's not just about adultery, it's about lust. There are certain sins that we think are less significant because they feel a little bit safer. But this message helps us understand. This message from Jesus shows us who needs forgiveness. That's question number two. We know what is forgiveness. It means to let something go. But who needs it? Well, obviously the woman does. 
She's a sinner who, who needs to be forgiven of much because she has sinned much. Simon says it, Jesus says it. That's the one thing that Jesus and Simon agree on. You're right, Simon. She's a sinner. But Simon needs forgiveness too. I've been reading um, this year about the, the history of the, the Great Awakening and the early evangelical movement, and there's fascinating stories about the, the early days of George Whitfield's ministry and the Wesleys and, and all those guys, and um, just the stories of, of Whitfield, um, who was so criticized for his enthusiasm, not just his enthusiasm in preaching, but the enthusiasm he generated out of his hearers. And the, the church was uncomfortable with Whitfield in his day. And so, number one, that his crowds were too big to fit in a church. And number two, they were too raucous. They were too enthusiastic for the church of his day. So he went out to the fields. But Whitfield spent mo- mo- much of his adult life just traveling from England to the U.S. to Scotland to back to the U.S. all, all around preaching in fields. How did he do it? Do you know that one of the, the great stories within Whitfield's life is the, the wealthy people that helped him do it? The, the wealthy donors, like uh, the, the woman who, who needs to be honored well in church history, her, her, she was the Countess of Huntington. The Countess of Huntington was a wealthy benefactor of George Whitfield who often would pay for his expenses and his travels and, and support his work over the course of many, many years. But she also served as a bridge into the English nobility of her day. And so she would gather these dinner parties together of these, uh, of these English nobles to have Whitfield as the honored guest share the gospel. And I just found this one so fascinating. There, there was one of these dinners that the Countess of Huntington hosted with uh, George Whitfield, the great evangelist who was uh, one of the most well-known people in the world in his day. And this duchess, who was a guest of the Countess of Huntington, wrote her a letter after the visit. This is the duchess's response to Whitfield. She said, it is monstrous. It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. Did you catch what she said here? Whitfield's gospel is monstrous because he told me as a duchess that I'm just as sinful as that commoner. And he, I cannot believe that you, Countess of Huntington, that your ladyship would actually relish these sentiments because they do not agree with our ideals of rank and good breeding. That's what she said. And every American in the room understands why the American Revolution happened that generation, right? <laughs> but that sense, of, that, that sense of, of arrogance and pride of saying, no, no, no. I'm not going to associate with those people. I don't have the same level of sin as those people. You know, we, we might say, well, yeah, that, that whole English nobility thing, that's a, that's a problem, and that was the problem there. But we all have situations like this in which it's very easy for us to look at the other and so more readily see the sins of the other than the sins of us. How easy is it for, to pick on the sins outside of us more than the sins inside of us. See, Simon was a sinner just like the sinful woman, but 
Simon was not an outward sinner like this sinful woman. Simon's sins were not known, were not discussed, were not gossiped about in the community. And so we need take care because we can easily look out there into the community and see that theft is a great sin. And we can look at somebody who, who is a thief and say, what an incredible sinner that person is. But the greed in our heart is decaying our hearts as well. And so we can look at the adulterer and say, how could they? How could they destroy their marriage while lust is destroying our marriages? While pornography is destroying just as many marriages as adultery. Or, or, or perhaps we, we look at, uh, the, at substance abuse. Let's go there. Let's look at substance abuse. Somebody that continually, regularly puts a harmful substance into their bodies. And it doesn't just destroy them, it destroys relationships. It destroys the people around them. Yes, that, that, that's a sin and, and that should be condemned. But what about continually pouring the substance of pride into our hearts and minds? Does that decay you? Does that decay your relationships? When you are so living for self and feeding toxic pride into your heart and into your mind, does it affect your relationships? Yeah. And so we have to be mindful as, as Christians, as followers of this resurrected king that, that we hate all sin. We don't just hate the really visible sins. We hate the really safe sins. We hate the sins that nobody knows about except for you. I hate the sins in my life that you don't know happen. I hate the sins of anger and lust that I have in my heart and mind that, I, that you don't even know about. That is what following Jesus is about. That is what forgiveness is about. Not just being forgiven for the, the super bad stuff that everybody sees. But to be mindful that, that the super bad stuff that everybody sees only comes after a time of internal decay that some of us are going through and we're not even recognizing how much we are being decayed in our own lust, in our own anger, in our own greed, in our own pride. And so the sins of the heart must be addressed too. The woman was living in a state of desperation. Simon was living in a state of comfort. And sometimes comfort can be dangerous for us. Jess was reading in one of her commentaries this week that abundance is risky because abundance keeps us from seeing our needs. Comfort keeps us from seeing the desperation. Simon the Pharisee had wealth in the praise of men because that's what Jesus said the Pharisees were after, right? They loved the approval that came from man more than the approval that came from God. He did not need the forgiveness of this traveling rabbi. He only wanted to dismiss him. So who grants forgiveness? Number one, we know who grants forgiveness is God, God himself. God, Lord, Psalm 86.5 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to those who call on you. So let's call on the Lord today. That's how we find forgiveness. But it's not just, this, this passage is not just an application for us to receive forgiveness. That's the first goal, receive forgiveness for God. Part two Matthew 6, 14, forgive others and your heavenly father will forgive you. Our forgiveness for others 
comes as a response to the overwhelming forgiveness we receive from God. If we are not able to receive, or if we are not able to give forgiveness, it means we have not properly recognized the amount of forgiveness we've received. If we are in awe of the grace of God given to us in his forgiveness of us, then we will be moved to readily forgive others. How is forgiveness achieved? By repentance. Look at what this woman shows. Desperation, emotion. She wept at the feet of Jesus. You don't have to weep to receive Jesus, but you need to be desperate. You need to reach that point of desperation where nothing but him satisfies. Nothing but him can deal with the problem of sin in your life. And we come to him in confession on the basis of his shed blood and we're empowered by the spirit to receive new life in him. That's how forgiveness is achieved. Only at the cross of Christ through the power of the spirit. And we'll close this way. A couple points. What do I do now? Number one, we receive. The band's gonna make their way up, there, up here and we're going to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus today. And we're going to remember that the first thing all of us need to do right now is we receive forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And there's no time like the present to receive the shed blood of Jesus for your salvation. But number two, we don't just receive, we then deliver, we preach, we proclaim. And we proclaim forgiveness to those who are far off like the woman and those who look like they're near off that don't recognize the need of their own sin like Simon the Pharisee. We preach the need for forgiveness to those who are sinners in the eyes of the world and those who are righteous in the eyes of the world. And sometimes even we wake up and we preach forgiveness to our own hearts for those times that we don't get it right. We re-preach the gospel to ourselves to remind us that we are sons and daughters forgiven by the blood of the cross. So we receive, we proclaim, we also give. For some of us, the most practical application is out of the abundance of the forgiveness we've received from God to now go and give forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Because we've all been wronged. It's part of life. Welcome to humanity. You've been wronged. Sometimes people treat you ill. And so now, on the basis of the incredible gift of forgiveness we've received at the cross of Jesus, we now go and forgive. And what an offering we have to the world. What an offering, what a message of hope and joy we can proclaim to the world that needs salvation, that needs sin, that needs atonement. But this is how we do it. It's only through the blood of Jesus. It's only by proclaiming Jesus as Lord and confessing our sins and coming to him in repentance. So I'm going to ask you, stand and sing. We'll worship together. And if you need to come forward, come forward. And we'll do the business of forgiveness together. Stand and sing with us. To the sinner's ears it may sound strange. Freedom could be found through death and pain. Why sinless perfection took the blame? But hallelujah. For our part in it would take the cross. Salvation paid for at the high. 
ocean gained it, heaven's lost. Oh, hallelujah. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. There is nothing strong enough to say. Guess what love is done without stretched hands. Now salvation flows for every man. calls upon this name will find the guilt and burden rolled away oh they'll rise up to their feet forever changed singing hallelujah what can wash away my sin nothing but the
Loving Father, we give the glory to you this morning. We stand in awe of you. For we are but sinners who have violated your law, who have rebelled against you. And yet in your love, you poured out the blood of your own son. You resurrected him from the dead so that we might become your sons and daughters. Father, we stand in awe of your love this morning. May we be like that sinful woman who wept in awe and desperation. Move our hearts towards you, Father. May we receive your grace at a deeper level because we recognize the depth of your forgiveness at a deeper level. We love you, Father. Send us out under your direction in the power of your spirit. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now remain standing as we proclaim the blessing of the Lord God over his people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now go in peace. Amen.